is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I'm joined by Sydney singer-songwriter Jess Dale, whose music spans country, blues, and Americana. Jess, thanks so much for joining me on Women Who Rock. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have a chat to you. You know, I've been rocking out tonight on um, some of the tracks on your Triple J Earth, and I really think that it's sort of drenched in Americana. <laughs> I find I find that really interesting because you're in Sydney and I think did you grow up in Sydney as well? Oh uh, no, I actually grew up in the hills of out of Perth in Western Australia. Um that's even further than <laughs> um so coming from there, where did you get such a strong, I guess, affinity for the genre of Americana? Oh, great question. Well <laughs> I mean, you know, Americana is just really great music. <laughs> so I feel like I grew up listening to a lot of, yeah, a lot of blues and a lot of, I guess, early rock and roll and the kind of stuff that my mum was into really. Um, I was raised by a single mum with great taste in music. So she introduced me to Neil Young and the Beatles and Bob Dylan and as I got a bit older, like into my teenage years, I guess, then I got really interested in what came before all those guys, um, <laughs> what happened in the world before the 60s and 70s. And then I got really into the early blues women. So Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey, um, really into the early kind of country blues and um, the early country folk. And, yeah, I guess that music's just really influenced me. And so when I sit down to write a song, it's not like I'm thinking I want to write an Americana song, but I guess they're just the influences come out. I went through, I guess, a bit of a similar learning process where, because I think if you think about the stereotypical view of an early kind of blues musician, mm. it's sort of a lone male figure on a highway with a dusty guitar. Mm. But actually, if you go back earlier than that, it's sort of to the 1920s. Mm. It was very much female dominated with the blues queens like Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. Absolutely. And I feel like that's really, um, it's really not widely understood or appreciated. Um, I think, especially, you know, growing up in Australia, it's kind of embarrassing, but you kind of are raised on white blues in a way. It's all that like 60s and 70s, you know white dudes playing the blues and then you look a bit further and then you learn about all the like male blues legends and then when you go right back as you say actually um the first kind of major stars in recorded blues were women um people like Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey and um I think it's so interesting because they're writing about you know their experiences with so much honesty and it's so raw and it's so raunchy often and it's it's just so damn honest that it still feels like quite shocking often today to listen to it. You know, they write about sex and problems with their men and like problems with power and racism and like they were doing that in the 20s. And so to me it's like some of the most vivid music 
made. Do you have a favourite musician from that time? Oh, I mean, I love Bessie Smith. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I have a really beautiful, like, uh, disc set mm-hmm. that I got from Utopia Records, which I thought was pretty cool that it was a, um, a basically a metal store, <laughs> but then it had this, like, really immaculately displayed big kind of um, three-disc set, I think, with heaps of notes and stuff about it. Mm. Um, in a metal store full of dudes with black t-shirts. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. Um, I read this great book about two years ago by Angela Davis, um, who's an incredible campaigner for like prison abolition and the rights of especially incarcerated black women in the States. And, you know, was a key has been a key player in civil rights movements. But she actually wrote a book um, called I think it's called Black Feminism and Blues Legacies and it's all about those really early blues women and their feminism and their influence on feminism and she kind of wrote the book because she said she was sick of hearing about feminism as if it was a white kind of invention and she was sick of hearing about blues music as if it was all by men and so she kind of wrote this book about the interconnected threads of early feminism and early blues musicians and it's so great so I highly recommend um, having a read for anyone that's interested yeah I actually am very interested in that I you know I do a lot of learning through this podcast <laughs> great. Um, I had known a little bit about female blues musicians before I started but one of the first episodes that I did was with a lady called Fran and she told me that her favorite female artist from the time is a person called Memphis oh Minnie. yeah she's so great yeah, and you're kind of talking there about the idea of, you know, strong women and quite, uh, I don't know, strong themes, but uh, pretty heavy themes for things discussed in the 1920s. And she was the best. She was so yeah. good. Yeah, she's she's very funny as well. I think that's yeah, the, part of, that's what I love about the blues, right, is it's sort of dealing with the most honest and raw and intense themes, like, you know, what they were dealing with, incredible racism, um, segregation, uh, violence, and and they do all that and they make it tuneful and rhythmic and funny. Like it's just what a phenomenal art form that can kind of take all that intense suffering and injustice and turn it into something that, you know, people enjoy listening to. <laughs> I just think it's amazing. Have you ever been on a musical pilgrimage to feed your Americana oh, thirst? <laughs> that's such a good question. No, I haven't. Um, I, I think I, I would really love to. Like I would love to go to the States. I've never been there. I, um, I <laughs> along with my deep passion for music, I'm also very passionate about um, the planet and I made a rule for myself pretty early on that I would, would only fly if I absolutely had to. Um, and I haven't always uh, lived up to that principle, but it means I haven't haven't gone to the states yet. Okay, that's an interesting. That's a very thoughtful thing to to do, I guess. And how young were you when you decided to do that? Oh, I think I made that principle when I was about twenty two, um, and I definitely don't want to give the impression that I've lived up to it because I've ended up, um, you know, when I'm not a musician, um, a lot of what I've done with with my time is being a campaigner for environment and climate. 
And sometimes that has taken me to different countries and um, a lot of different places around Australia. So I definitely have flown a lot, um, but yeah, haven't quite made the pilgrimage. Okay. Yeah, I kind of think about that issue as well because particularly uh, going to conferences around the world to discuss solar cell mm-hmm. technologies, mm-hmm. there's kind of an inherent tension there. Oh, absolutely. Um, and And I, yeah, it's tricky because, you know, obviously to fix the climate crisis and the extinction crisis that we're facing, we need really deep systems change um, and we, you know, we need power imbalances to shift. And so, you know, I, I really hate focusing on individual action amidst that because I really think it's, a, you know, there are very powerful governments and corporations that are standing in the way of ensuring a safe planet. So I don't, I don't like focusing on individual actions, but I guess I do think like personal ethics matters and um, one should limit one's footprint as as much as possible. But mm. but you know more important than that is um, being part of creating systems change. So I'd always yeah I always think that's more important. I, it's been a little while since you played your last gig. I think it was like towards the start of March. <laughs> yes. Gee, um, I wonder what happened. So <laughs> I can think of something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how has it been going over the last four months in terms of uh, playing, I guess not really able to perform, mm. but in terms of maybe writing for new material? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember playing my last gig, I think, on the Thursday um, at I think it was the Peter Shambolo and then by sat, sat, it was that Saturday two days later that you know Scott Morrison was was telling everyone they could they could go to the the footy and the rugby and then that got rapidly withdrawn so it all happened really quickly and yeah there were a number of things that changed overnight you know all gigs got cancelled um, I was supposed to be on tour and um, doing some work with a record label and that all fell through because the bottom fell out of the industry. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of setbacks for me, you know, personally in terms of music, which I know is is kind of something every musician's gone through and in the context of the, like, very significant and heartbreaking suffering that people around the world have felt is a tiny thing. And so, um, yeah, for me personally it's just meant I've got to, in a way, just spend more time doing writing, which is what I love the most. So I've written so many new songs in the last four months um, and I'm so keen to get out and gig when that's possible um, and record as well. Have your songs been about isolation? Ooh. Or just you just have more time to generally write songs? Uh, Definitely having more time to write and, um, and especially I suppose when we were in the really intense lockdown, it's a, it's quite an introspective space. (laughs) when you're stuck at home and you can't really go out. So um, I guess some of the songs are about isolation, maybe not directly, but as a backdrop, like an emotional backdrop. Um, And probably there's a bit of a theme of seeking connection 
in there if I think about it, but that wasn't deliberate. It was, I'm very non-deliberate when I write songs. I just kind of sit down and whatever comes out, comes out. I'm not very structured about it. (laughs) I'd like to listen to a track. We should listen to a song of yours way back before the pandemic. (laughs) And I guess kind of relevant to what we've chatted about so far. Uh, This track from Jess Dale is called Leaving Woman's Blues. Leaving Woman's Blues by Jess Dale. Um, Jess, you kind of mentioned it in the first part, 
the idea that you are sort of heavily involved in uh, climate activism, activism. I saw that you had played some gigs where you're also kind of supporting climate action. And in these unusual times, I'm very interested to check in kind of with your thoughts on where you think climate action is going at the moment and whether you think that it's kind of are people still paying attention to it given the current health crisis that we're facing? Mm. Well, I mean, I think the the bushfires that ravaged a lot of Australia over summer um, meant that climate change was at the forefront of so many people's minds, um, both climate change and obviously environmental destruction because we, I mean, a new story came out today that a study that estimated Australia lost about 3 billion native animals in those fires. So that the damage that was done to kind of our environment plus, you know, the clear knowledge from experts that it was climate change meant that climate change and environment was front and centre in Australians' minds. And obviously COVID has meant that there have been so many other things for people to think about um, and it's, it's taken climate change, I suppose, off the front pages and, and there is a really, you know, a very real kind of battle going on about how we recover from COVID because you would see that, you know, people that want climate action say this is a, a once in a kind of lifetime opportunity to rebuild better after COVID, to really like turbocharge renewable industries, clean industries, and make sure that while the government is intervening so much with the economy and is, is trying to develop um, a post-COVID economic recovery, let's make sure that it's sustainable. And then the battle on the other side is for vested interests in fossil fuel industries and other destructive industries um, to lock in their own self-interest in this period of, of uncertainty. So the, uh, what I would say is obviously, you know, we all know climate change and environmental destruction is here. The impacts are getting more and more horrendous in Australia, we saw that with the bushfires, but it's it's the case all over the globe. Um, and so now is sort of a critical time for climate action because we can fight for the kind of e- economic recovery that we want. Maybe the health crisis will make us rethink about our day-to-day lives, maybe force us to change and do things differently. Well, I think the thing, uh, I think I'm naturally <laughs> very optimistic Um, and the thing that is heartening out of COVID is it shows that actually governments and corporations can just step in and radically change course if they have to, if there's a compelling reason. And COVID is a very, obviously is a very compelling reason because it's a public health emergency and people will die if action isn't taken. But, you know, often, you know, people that are involved in the, you know, the battle to stop environmental destruction and to try and um, get climate action are often told, oh, we couldn't possibly do that thing that technically everyone says is the solution. You know, and as, as you'd know with your expertise, you know, the solutions for transitioning to clean energy are largely there. The problem is not that we don't have the solutions. The problem's not technical or policy. It's political will. And so when from now on when governments or corporations say, oh, we can't possibly do that, well, actually they can <laughs> if they want to, mm. if the will is there. And so I guess that's the, um, 
that's the job is to is for enough people to come together to to force that to happen okay i think that yeah it's a very interesting times hopefully we can do that i don't want to push you too far into politics and i don't want to possibly steal your thunder from the segment as well so maybe we'll go back to talking about your music (laughs) great um so yeah you mentioned that you've got lots of sort of songs uh that you've been working on uh during the lockdown do you have a plan for releases for those and how does the current kind of situation and inability to play live gigs impact your thoughts on releasing music? Yeah, I, I think for me what made it, I suppose what's clear out of this time is, well, what I always knew, I just love writing songs and I love writing songs and performing them and releasing them when I have that opportunity. But um, when I don't, like in COVID, I just write anyway um, because I love doing it. And so I guess um, my plan, depending on what happens with, you know, future lockdowns and so on, is to to start doing, you know, small small gigs when possible. Um, I'm doing a gig at Lazy Bones next week, next Tuesday, for example, um, pro- provided the current rules stay the way they are. Uh, then I'm also um, looking at trying to get into the studio with my awesome band um, and recording a bunch of um, a bunch of stuff while I can, and then releasing it because I think you know what COVID shows is that life is very uncertain and very short, and um, I'd love to just share these songs with people if if people want to hear them. I have not been in Sydney for most of the last four months. You're playing a show at Lazy Bones. Mm-hmm. How does that work at the moment? Oh, good question. Um, I, I don't know specifically at that venue because I haven't actually been there post-COVID. Um, but other sure. venues, they just um, have really strict, depending on their size, um, requirements in terms of how many people can enter the venue. Um, people, everyone has to kind of sign in with a QR code so they can track um, who's been to the venue, um, people have to be seated so they're not, you know, rubbing up against each other. Um, mm. uh, so, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of health measures in place to ensure social distancing. Okay, yeah. I haven't been to a gig like since February or something. Mm. Is there – so there's obviously those kind of physical things that can happen. Mm. Do you think that that – creates a kind of weird tension that was never there before in the room I imagine it would just be like a different vibe um to previously look, it's a great question um and I think probably there's a bit of a different vibe but um Liz Martin who I don't know if you know but she's a very very wonderful um female musician around Sydney and she was saying she did a gig I think a week or two ago and she was saying that it was actually just so wonderful, the vibe, because everyone that was there was just so excited to see live music again after such a drought. Mm. And so the mood was actually like very electric and people were just so enthusiastic and it was wonderful. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that's what it will, will be like. Um, but, you know, who knows, tomorrow, ho- hopefully not, and touch wood, but, you know, tomorrow the rules could all change if cases go up in Sydney. It's such a... It's such an unpredictable time. Sure. I guess it must be going okay because we have had, you know, cases in the teens yeah. 
in New South Wales, and I guess no one knows how this podcast is going to age, but um, it's I haven't heard anything about something being linked to a live event. It's largely Thai-based restaurants, I think, uh, or pubs in southwest Sydney that have been problematic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, there were some known hotspots like that southwest Sydney venue. Um, but I, I think it's one of those things where, yeah, it's just so hard to predict. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think anyone predicted the Melbourne spike. And so, yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of in that funny stage that I think a lot of people are in where you kind of make plans, but they, they all feel very tentative because you, you just don't know what's going to happen and you want to do the responsible thing. Mm-hmm. So if the advice from the authorities changes, then um, we'll all be following it. Sure. We all just have to flow like water and adapt to the times, I guess. That's right. Taoism is quite helpful in these times. <laughs> that was actually came out far more phil- philosophical than I was planning it to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As We Are 107.3.